the EU. A normative power in global cyber governance. Capturing voices from the 2022 Computers, Privacy and Data Protection Conference held in Brussels, Belgium, Europe. Part 1. Privacy. Privacy is the, the part of the bedrock of a, a free uh, a free political economy and, and I think that's correct that the ability to choose to share things about yourself to a reasonable extent is partly about you know giving people a degree of autonomy that you would associate with a democracy. I think generally a lot of people are of the opinion that I'm not doing anything wrong so I don't need to worry. And I think that that kind of complacency can be very dangerous. Not just because you are then taking away from yourself the opportunity to inform yourself and educate yourself about the risks and the rewards uh, to a lesser extent of the technologies that we're using in, a, in, in our daily lives, but if at any point a company or a corporation or a state decides to move the goalposts and change what is and isn't wrong again like i said these people say and I've, I've been guilty of this too very very often i'm not doing anything wrong i have nothing to hide you're not doing anything wrong until you are and who determines that the state or the people that are in charge of um terms and conditions of, of certain services that you use and if those if those uh, conditions are to change then you may be finding you might you may find yourself in a more contentious uh, situation. So I think at the very least understanding what it is you're getting into when you sign up for services or when you use certain products is uh, it should be a requirement for, for all users. And if you don't pay for something, you are the commodity. So it's good to know what they're doing with you. If you look at traditional approaches to privacy, mm -hmm. it means that you have um, part of, of life which is private. And we should, we should keep private because, because otherwise it's not good. It's partly your responsibility to respect those norms of propriety as well and modesty and so on. Now we're talking more maybe about informational self-determination. And I think this really highlights how privacy is something that is constituted by individual actions where you will react when you feel that you are intruded upon. And it might, you might do that in a physical space, so your neighbor is, is, is looking at you when you're showering and then you close the, 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 the blinds and you're recreating privacy. But you might also be doing that on the internet where you see that you have cookie banners that say, what about your data? And then you say, ooh, that's kind of creepy. And then you install all blockers. It's kind of the same kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so I think this is kind of how privacy works today. Part 2 Europe It's far more than only the regulation for some certain data protection standards in a, in a common market, but it's about building up uh, a common area of values, trust and, uh, and standards. And, and that not only, for example, for the European market, but as you said, Time is changing for uh, a global community um, based on democracy and, um, and values. And I very much think that one of the 
lessons we can already learn and one of the developments we can see is that um, we are on the way to more integrate as a community of states. When we talk about European values in the data protection context, of course, uh, all of us uh, are very well aware that the GDPR, that general data protection regulation, has become a kind of uh, gold standard uh, across the globe. So that's, of course, also something which we uh, uh, can be very proud of. And if we look at the role of the, like the institutions in Europe, uh, by creating new laws and policies, they are not focused on governance. This is a very different thing. They're, pro they're focused on protecting Article 7, Article 8 of the Treaty of the Function of the European Union. And they're two very distinct articles. I mean, the um, right for private life is transposed into like the e-privacy uh, directive and the e-privacy regulation proposal is all about protecting a personal space. Uh, it, it could be, well, the, your home, like in the, the smart homes, or your car, for connected cars, or the smartphone, where we've seen a lot of debates on uh, consent and, uh, uh, for personal data, non-personal data. The our other article um, on, is, is, about, is being transposed into the GDPR. And this is about the protection of freedoms. Freedom is a very important building block for societies, democratic societies. And I decompose the term freedom into privacy, security, but also user autonomy. And all are at stake. idea on how it wants the internet to be governed, to be, to be fair. I think it really depends on who you're talking to. But with regards to data protection, from what I've seen so far, but I don't know everything, um, most countries have copied things from the GDPR and actually from before the GDPR, the 1995 directive, and from before the Brussels effect, there was a Strasbourg effect when we had Convention 108 and now 108 plus, which is ratified by more and more non-European countries. So. I think it is still pretty influential um, for its, at least there is a, like, a sort of intellectual influence because this is where this legal expertise was originally developed. In the grand scheme of things, the EU is making and has been making for some time, as we've seen with uh, the GDPR or the e-commerce directive or the unfair commercial practices directive, for example, there have been efforts to establish um, certain checks and balances when it comes to um, undertakings within EU jurisdiction. And if we look at the GDPR a little bit more closely and then by extension of the GDPR, the, um, the AI Act that is currently in the works, um, we're also looking at the potential for European legislation or the standards uh, within the EU for things like data protection and AI to extend their tendrils somewhat into um, into other jurisdictions as well by, by way of the Brussels effect, which um, if in my understanding is a way to get companies and other actors that are not within EU territory to comply with EU data protection and AI laws to, to a point where they decide, you know what, let's just make everything EU compliant instead of having two completely different modes of operating our service. And I think by using this 
almost subliminal messaging or this almost unintended knock-on effect with uh, the AI Act or with GDPR, it may lead, if everyone's cards are played correctly, to a more regulated community of um, and a more regulated exchange of data with um, a higher degree of accountability. Part 3. The Global Internet If you think historically how this was approached, uh, states uh, controlled territories, uh, built up control of territories, and they established borders around those territories, which told people, you're now in our country, in our land, and these are the set of rules that apply. And that sort of physical world, of course, still exists. And in a sense, we've seen people pushing hard in that direction to reassert control over borders. And then you've got this really interesting digital space, which um, erases distance and brings people from different countries together and creates wonderful possibilities, but also opens up this area where it's not clear who is in charge, which set of people have set the rules. And what we've seen happen is, um, first of all, you know, we saw that as a fundamentally positive thing because it would bring free expression to territories that were closed down. Um, Authoritarian-minded governments have seized on that as the challenge it is. And essentially, they've tried to, to, to stop that happening by putting large firewalls around the country, establishing digital borders. And we, meanwhile, have clung to a largely open internet and digital sphere because we think it plays to our strengths. Um, and now I think we're seeing that debate open, though, in the in more democratically minded countries, saying, is that still true? And then even between ourselves, there's this argument, OK, well, if we're going to have a shared democratic space, who gets to decide what that is? Um, and what's really interesting is that one of the... the early movers in this um, and you know, pioneers in establishing re regulation is the European community, the European Union rather. Um, but the European Union is fundamentally an economic bloc, not a national and security-minded bloc. Those things are done by states in other frameworks, either nationally and bilaterally or through NATO. But now we're finding that these things are coming together and particularly post the war in Ukraine. And so therefore, you know, who gets to set the, uh, the, the rules of the play is not as clear as it once was when we're no longer just in an economic world. Um, the open and free internet that we experienced in the 90s uh, and, and the, 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 the internet version that existed after that and the interconnected version we have now and still call the open internet can coexist with the um, more data localized um, uh, walled gardens. Um, but it will result in um, different bubbles of shared realities um, because in the end, it, it will be, you need the global view in the end, and if, the, if you're restricted from that view, um, obviously it feeds into polarization. Um, so this is not really like a privacy problem, it's a geopolitical problem that's driven by many factors, and economics is one of them. Um, but it, it, it works all the way through to the um, 
the like the, the fabric of the internet and it's not a given that the HTTP protocol for instance uh, is will be the dominant protocol in each of these um, and it's we did not see a lot of traction in creating an alternative internet I mean technically it's very well feasible to create a new type of uh, in internet based on different protocols and have full control uh, if you are a, a non-democratic uh, uh, society. Is the, is the EU, is the dominance of the EU in the global conversation an end goal for the EU? Is that what they want? Does the EU, it, has the EU intended at any point to make its footprint on this conversation globally so loud? And the answer to, I don't know the answer to that question I don't think that I, I choose to believe that the EU isn't trying to slowly encroach and take over the global um, conversation in this in this area because I'm not sure if the dominance of the EU is really what we should be worried about and I'm not sure if it matters I believe that uh, debate like the two of us are having at, uh, right now, or also CPDP conferences where we meet now, um, that is very important because uh, sometimes also a legislator might not have the full picture, their various interests of course, and I truly believe that um, only if we start uh, listening uh, to each other and talking to each other, instead of just talking about each other, then we will start to, to learn. The EU, a normative power in global cyber governance, capturing voices from the 2022 Computers, Privacy and Data Protection Conference held in Brussels, Belgium, Europe. The End